everybody, welcome. As you're coming on. All right, good morning. We've got a few more people we're letting in from the waiting room and we're gonna give it just one more minute. So please be patient with us. Um, before we get going and I'll remind everybody as we get going, if you are willing, please turn on your cameras but mute your microphones. Um, this is gonna be kind of an informal session. And I know Lewis will reiterate this that he you know, would love to see everybody's faces as he's chatting. Um, and then, you know, if you want to speak, you can use the, you know, raising your hand thing. You can just unmute yourself, you know, if you have questions and we'll get going for real in just a second. And uh, Shanna, I just put the link to the report in the chat so people could be downloading that and taking a look as we're, as we're waiting to start. And just a, a note, when you click that link, it'll automatically download to your computer. So go to your downloads folder and you will find it there. Just a little pro tip <laughs> so that you're not searching and waiting and waiting for it to pop up. I don't know why I'm not. There's Maureen. I've been there. I've just am like a little technically challenged sometimes. I apologize for that. Ooh. Well, <laughs> well, I think we should get going if people are ready. Okay, sounds good. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm Shanna Dreheim. I am the director of the Policy Research Labs, <clears throat> excuse me, here at the Michigan Municipal League. And I am so excited to have the folks here. Um, Louis Aloro, who is co-founder of the Change Lab, and our very own Maureen Donker, who is the mayor of the city of Midland. And I think I first talked with Maureen about this well-being work that you guys were doing like two years ago at our one of our board meetings, maybe even three years ago. I can't even remember. But um, so I'm really excited to hear more about this and just to see um, what you guys have found as you dug in and did this well-being study here in Michigan. I'm going to turn it over to Lewis in just a second, but I'm going to remind everybody once and let him do it again. If you are so willing, please turn on your cameras and turn off your microphones um, just to make it a little more interactive and fun and engaging. And um, he will, uh, they will, they will let you know what they need for you as we go. So I'm going to flip it right over to you, Lewis. Great. Well, good morning from California where I am right now, 8 a.m., a good after, almost afternoon. I guess it's morning where you are too. Um, so good morning, everybody. We are all um, in the same part of the day. That's nice to know. I'm happy to be here um, and with my colleague, friend Maureen Donker, who I'm going to pass over to you, your colleague and friend, Maureen Donker, who will explain a little bit of how this study came to be. When she's done, I'll present some of the findings and then give it some, uh, give us all some opportunity to, to digest some of the findings and make some meaning of it here as a group. So Maureen, over to you, friend. Okay, great. 
it is really nice to be here um, with all of you. And you're right, Shanna, we did talk about this um, a few years ago. So let, just let me give you a little bit really about our history and how this happened. And then we can talk a little bit more and Lewis will talk a lot more about the survey itself. So Midland is a community of about a city of 43,000. We're a county of about 80,000 and we are a manufacturing community. Truly, we are a chemical manufacturing community. We are the home of Dow Chemical. And a few years ago, our community was going through a, a major change. Our business community was going through a major change. Dow and DuPont merged. Now, you need to understand Dow has been in Midland for well over 100 years, almost 150 years, and they are our major employer. So these two companies merged. And what happened in our community was we began to see a lot of stress in, in our community members. Many people worked there. And even though you didn't work there, it still impacted you because you knew somebody who was working there. So there was a concern about, am I going to have a job? Am I going to lose my job? What is this going to look like for our community itself after this major change happens? So with this change, that was going on. And then, of course, these two big companies came together. And then they began to split up their businesses. And we were like, wow, what does this mean? So like all of you, we wanna be a community of choice. And we mean, when we say that, we say, hey, we wanna be a place where people wanna live and businesses want to locate. So we were really concerned on how to address this in the community. And we found out about the work that was going on in Penn at University of Pennsylvania in um, Applied Positive Psychology, the work of Martin Seligman. Um, and we looked at that work and we were really excited about that. We found out about it from a teacher who had been through the master's program at Penn and the work at a local nonprofit called The Rock, which um, supports youth and helps them become the best that they can be. And we saw this work and what appealed to us was a few things. It was about how do you struggle well? And we thought, wow, you know, that's what we're doing. We are struggling here. And this is not unique to Midland. And this is certainly not unique to, I think what our world is going to be. Businesses are gonna to come together and you're, we're gonna see those changes all the time. So that was really very exciting to us. So it was based in science. It was, um, which is important to a science community. Um, it was about st struggling well. And it was really, um, you know, provided us with some really concrete, things that we could do to be, to be that community of choice, which we wanted to be. And for us too, which was exciting, it lined up with the work that was done by the Knight Foundation, their Soul of the Community Report on why people love where they live and why does it matter. And so one of the, you know, the top things that um, drives attachment, what are the drivers of attachment? And one of the things, the top things we saw were a welcoming community and a place where you knew that people cared about you. And we thought, you know, maybe we can do something with this. So we started down that path and actually we found Lewis. I, found, I had my first conversation with him in the car driving back from a meeting uh, with the Michigan Municipal League. That's why I'm so excited about this today. So we've been doing some really fun things that have had a huge impact on our community. We did start training people in this work of applied positive psychology with the goal of um, developing an approach that builds well-being, helping residents become citizens, enhance community connections, and creating a more welcoming place for diverse populations. So we started training folks. We've had two sessions 
where we trained over 40 people in each session. We had 90 individuals, which were leaders of our local nonprofits, our local community foundations, some of our family foundations, large businesses, small businesses. So it's very um, diverse people that are trained in this with the goal of us having a common language so we could support one another in that work. So um, we have graduated two classes and this has been going on now um, for almost the last five years here in Midland. And we've had some other projects that have come out of that. Um, so for example, our local hospital has done a wonderful project on belonging and their um, background in well-being science has helped them get two major grants from the uh, Michigan Health Endowment Fund. So they're working on identifying folks who don't um, have someone in their life when they come in to the health system that they, so they can pair them up with um, a volunteer to help them so we can develop that sense of belonging. And that belonging is so important because it is one of the highest indicators of well-being. So that is some great work that's been going on. We formed a well-being coalition. Um, we have found someone now who's going to lead that coalition for us and help us with that. Um, most recently, you know, last year, we did a civility training, which was very exciting. It lines right up with our diversity, equity, inclusion work, which is so critical in all of our communities right now. And we continue to find you know, other things to work on. And we're so excited that we've had this wonderful relationship with Lewis and this well-being study this is what's so important because we want to learn from all of you and we're hoping that you know you can learn from us and we're happy to share whatever we have with you so with that lewis it's yours thank you maureen well said thank you so much and just kind of snaps <laughs> claps for maureen for um really leading the way in midland and the region for why well-being is so important um this was before 2020 uh certainly last year shone the light for many of us on on especially how important well-being is and that whole idea, as Maureen said, of how to struggle well. So thanks, Maureen. Thanks everyone for coming, for making the decision to be here today. I'm representing the Wellbeing Lab. Um, this research report was made possible with the help of um, the uh, United Way of Michigan, um, the Mahaya Group, as well as the Midwest Collaborative for Library Services. So I just want to give a shout out to these organizations and say thank you. We went out to measure well-being in Michigan uh, because we wanted to just kind of spread out our work from the Midland region where we had been doing some measurements and some interventions, as Maureen uh, mentioned. And we wanted to look more broadly and we wanted to say, hey, what's going on in the state? Um, and so we went out for a representative sample. We almost got there. We didn't quite get there um, in terms of, um, of, of what we were able to get in terms of representation. This sample is representative by gender, age, and location. Um, we were able to, um, location being people who lived in metro areas versus suburban or more rural areas. Um, and so you know, I just share these demographics with you to say that, um, you know, this is not 100% um, representative of Michiganders, although we can learn something from what we were able to find. So uh, let's see what we were able to learn. Um, as I go through, I just want to invite you to be considering, hey, what, what strikes you from these findings? Um, how might we as an organization, as a league, uh, be able to show up to the challenge 
in creating more well-being in our communities? And what might you do personally? We'll end with these questions after I present the findings. I did put into the chat, and I will one more time for you all, the report. So you might want to have the report open as I'm going along. There's a lot of information. There's more information in the report than I'll be presenting this morning. So you'll be able to, um, to, to have a copy yourself. There it is. All right, let's get started. What the heck is well-being? <laughs> um, it's a word that um, intentionally we spell without a hyphen because there's something about well-being that's about the whole. It's about all of me. And so there's lots of different parts of me. So of course, well-being is going to involve lots of different parts. And so generally we say, according to Dr. Felicia Huppert, a leading uh, behavior scientist in this field, well-being is the ability to feel good and function effectively in your life, at home, at work, in the community, where you find yourself at the league, where you find yourself spending your time. You know, are you feeling good and functioning effectively? So let me ask you, and I'm gonna say, can you just uh, use the chat box here? Let's see um, you know, the diversity of responses that might come in as you feel comfortable sharing. How have you been feeling lately? It, have you been really struggling? Have you been feeling on top of the world? Have you been feeling not terrible, but just getting by? Or have you been living well despite some struggles? How would you describe how your well being, uh, according to these four choices, has been lately? Okay, thanks, Craig, for getting us going. Living well despite some struggles. Let's see what else we have just in terms of who's in the room and how you would subjectively assess your, your own well-being at this point in time. Okay, we're seeing a pattern here. Abigail says, not feeling terrible, just getting by. I'll explain in a few minutes what the distinctions are between these categories, but I'm just curious, you know, we know ourselves best. Just like when you go see a doctor, and you're, um, you're sharing some of your symptoms and, and what's been going on for you lately. That's your subjective assessment. So we, we know ourselves best. And um, we use these categories to discern two parts of well-being, two dimensions of well-being. One is a thriving dimension and the other is a struggle dimension. Okay, so because we're multidimensional, we have to be looking at well-being as multidimensional too. People who are high in thriving and low in struggle, we call these people consistently thriving. Those are the folks that are um, on top of the feeling on top of the world, right? Consistently thriving. People who are high in thriving and also high in struggle, we call these people living well despite some struggles. And many of you, not all, um, have, have said that this is where you find yourself at this point in time, right? Living well despite some struggles. People who can be well, high and thriving, and still have struggle at the same time. The bottom right dimension here where you're low in struggle and also low in thriving, we classify these folks as not feeling bad, but just getting by. People who are not feeling bad, but just getting by. And finally, people who are really struggling, high in struggle, and low and thriving. So when we went out 
and, and asked these questions just a few weeks ago. The study was done just at the end of March. So the data is pretty fresh. What we found is about nine, a little over 9% of the respondents, of the participants uh, consistently thriving. We found about 41.5% of the respondents living well despite some struggle. Um, and so it's not surprising that most of you in this room um, identified yourself here. Um, we found that 35.5% of the respondents um, not feeling bad, just getting by, and about 13% of the respondents um, as really struggling. Now, what we did see is that, of course, when we parse down into the data in different ways, we find, for example, um, you know, because United Way, for example, is really interested in the Alice community, the asset limited income um, uh, constrained and employed group, people, um, individuals making under $20,000, for example, we do find that people in that really struggling category increases about 10%. So about 20% of that group would be really struggling. So of course, this all depends on lots of the other variables going on in your life. Um, but this is generally a snapshot. We call it the state of well-being. And you'll see some of the other statistics I'm about to share with you compare a state of well-being. For example, um, in the next slide with gender, before I get there, let me just show you this, another way of thinking about the state of well-being with this pie chart. So what I just showed you on the previous screen is the same statistics that you see here in the pie chart, just another way of looking at the same data. Um, so let's let's break it down a little bit in terms of, for example, gender. Okay, so here's what we see when we break down the state of well-being with gender. We see that um, uh, women, as opposed to men, are struggling more. Um, we see that men are thriving a little bit more than women on their self-identification, and and perhaps that has to do with. Um, you know, um, how men think about themselves versus how women think about themselves. I wouldn't really look at this non-binary line just because we didn't have many people in this, in this category. So the validity of, this, of this particular, these particular statistics, I would say is not that great for the non-binary category. <clears throat> we did have a representative sample of, of men and women. By, um, this next slide is by age. And we did see um, this somewhat alarming um, trend here that the younger the folks, the more struggle there seemed to be, 18 to 24, compared to people in their uh, hip silver years. I just heard that uh, distinction just yesterday um, to describe people in their 60s, 70s or older, the hip silver years, you see people here less struggle, more thriving, you know? And so we might be uh, curious as to why that is. Why are, why are 18 to 24 year olds, according to this data anyway, struggling more than um, people who are into their 50s and 60s? One reason might be on a, um, on a neurophysical level that um, what we know about our brains they seem to fuse as we age, perhaps making it easier to have make connections in our brains, make more meaning out of our lives, um, even amidst challenging times. Maybe we have enough experience to know that this too shall pass by the time that we age. 
So who knows, but it's just an interesting data point. Here is by length of time in the community. And I think for municipalities, this is really fascinating that um, you know, people new to a community um, might make sense, right? That are struggling a bit more than people who have some longevity in town. Um, this might be an opportunity to, um, to be a social emotional leader among our neighbors, for example. And this was an impact project that came out of our work in Midland. Actually, Maureen worked on it. Maureen, Maureen just tell us a minute, what's, what's been going on with neighboring in Midland? You know, we're really, very excited about that. Um, we're actually doing some work with um, Missouri, University of Missouri. They have started a um, neighboring 101 program. So we have got a very active um, committee that, um, especially for Midland, because last year of the flood, in addition to COVID, you know, we, we were hit pretty hard um, with the flood. And this has been a wonderful thing about, you know, with folks helping one another. And so we're, we're really excited about the neighboring work, actually. We have a pretty yeah. active committee working on it. Yeah, there's an active committee and there's um, lots of projects that take on some of the well-being science work and combine it with some of the neighboring activities, which I find um, exciting. So the next um, that we'll look at here is state of well-being by employment status, right? You can see um, that people who aren't working, for example, un are unable to work um, uh, uh, with some higher struggles. We see people who are retired with some lower struggles, with some higher thriving that corresponds with the um, age statistics I showed you a couple slides ago. People who identify as carers are caretakers. Um, that's how they identified when we asked them their employment status. That's interesting and, and a bit concerning, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of caring for the caretakers and thinking about the folks that we're expecting to care for other, other folks and um, what, a, what, a, what a challenge that must be, you know, um, especially for sudden caretakers. I have a colleague who just wrote a book about being a su sudden caretaker. Um, reminds me of my sister who's, you know, when her husband was uh, diagnosed with a stage four cancer about five years ago and how everything in her life changed at that moment. Um, so again, how are we supporting the caretakers? You see students here struggling a little bit higher than people who certainly um, are working, who are working um, more full time. Here's by location now, state of well-being by location. We see people living in rural areas. Fascinating to me to see that those folks are the most struggling, but they're also the highest in thriving. We see extremes perhaps in our rural communities. And I'd be curious to know what you make of that, you know, um, from where you sit and, and the work that you all are doing to, um, to, to think about um, you know, the, the supporting folks in all of our um, locations. All right, so we're gonna talk next about struggle. And we had mentioned that because of these two dimensions that we're looking at well-being, and Maureen mentioned that the work to teach positive psychology and help people learn some of the tools and strategies is really to help them learn how to struggle well, how to navigate the challenges well. Not that we 
necessarily always change the conditions of our lives, but we can show up to them differently. So before I show you the statistics, I'm just curious for you, um, and you could pop this into the chat if you feel like that um, would be um, good for you, um, is when you experience your struggling, yourself struggling, how, how do you respond? Do you think to yourself, toughen up softy? Or do you think to yourself, I'm doing the best I can, right? Are you hard on yourself or are you, um, are you uh, a little bit more compassionate? Do you think to yourself, I need to do this on my own. I need to go it alone. Or do you think to yourself, who can I reach out to for help? And interestingly, some of the science shows that those who are able to reach out for help, um, it's one of the, the, the predictors or the signifiers, I should say, of um, what we call a growth mindset. This idea that I'm always growing and I'm always changing. Do you think to yourself, it's best to ignore this struggle that I have going on? Do you think to yourself, how can I numb this feeling somehow? You know, some people try to, um, you know, ignore what's going on or, or um, worse, maybe even try to numb the feeling. Do you blame yourself or do you blame others? And so how do you show up to struggles is the question. We asked the respondents of the survey um, about their struggles. We asked them first, what's your, the biggest cause of your struggle? And this is what we found. We found that mental health was the highest of the struggles that people reported on the survey, followed by physical health. Interestingly enough, when I drilled down a little bit last week into more of that Alice population, those were reversed. The, the people who were um, asset limited um, were folks that reported higher physical struggles than mental struggles. And when I show you a little bit later, some of the physical health um, re reportings, those were, were a bit lower too. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me that people that are on the hustle going, you know, struggling um, might not make physical health um, or cannot make physical health as much as a priority. People who are working two jobs, for example, right? When, when do you have time to, to make physical health a priority? We asked folks, um, let me just make sure I said what I wanted there. Yeah, we asked folks um, who they would call um, when they were struggling, who do they reach out to? We found that um, someone at home was by far um, the, most, uh, uh, the most reported answer here, someone at home. So I just invite you to think of the people who are in your home. Right, and you know, do we know um, as much about what's going on for them? Do we really know how they're how they're struggling and what they're struggling with? Um, probably yes, but I think that maybe there there might be an opportunity to to do a little bit more. You, we see here that um, uh, we also found that um, that people eighteen to twenty four in that category were less likely to have. Um, a, a community support to reach out to than uh, people who were in different age categories. Um, Maureen was talking about belonging in that project that was done at the hospital to, um, to assess social determinants of health for when, um, for when patients come in to see their doctor. So what 
um, a couple of folks that have been through some of our training programs were able to do was apply for that grant Maureen mentioned and change the intake forms. I love this project so that when um, someone identifies as lonely in their intake, a process is triggered through the system, the hospital system that connects that person with resources at 211. It's an automatic process. So that 211 later reaches out to that person who identifies as lonely. And look, we have a lot of folks identifying as lonely in our midst, in our orbits, right? Probably some of us on this call. And I think just like well-being ebbs and flows over time, so too does loneliness. Loneliness, however, has a compounding factor to us, right? That when we are feeling lonely, we're less likely to reach out. We're less likely to ask for help and support and for care. So how can we look out for people who are lonely? Let me tell you where, when we asked Michiganders where they, um, um, where they felt like they uh, most belong, we see here at home with their families. At work was only 8% of the people said they felt like they belonged at work. The respondents, I sense that this might be an opportunity too for workplaces to consider, hey, how are we creating conditions and environments where people feel like they, um, they belong here? Four workplaces, right? Interested in outcomes. Um, satisfaction is often an outcome that gets measured. Um, so satisfaction with work. Um, we asked questions because this was a community survey about satisfaction with life, satisfaction with family and satisfaction with community. And this is a pretty consistent pattern that we see across many different um, variables like these satisfaction variables. Who can point out the pattern? What do you see when you look at this slide? Anyone, anyone? I mean, consistently thriving and the living well, despite the struggle are higher across all three of these. Right, and pretty, pretty close to one another, right? In terms of the statistics. So we see that people who are consistently thriving are pretty similar in terms of self-reported satisfaction as people who are living well despite the struggle. And the people living well despite struggle are the folks that are, we, we call res the resilient bunch, the people who are, um, who are not, getting rid of their struggles, but showing up to them perhaps in a more empowered way. Why people don't do this is because, according here to Dr. James Prashaka, that why people don't show up to some um, to creating positive changes in their life when it comes to well-being, for example, th these three reasons, people don't want to, they don't know how to, or they don't think that they can do it. And so we ask people, um, tell us a little bit about your ability for motivation? Do you think that you can is really what we're trying to assess here. Your capacity, do you have the knowledge? Do you have the tools? Do you have the opportunities to care for your well-being? This is a healthy number 74 that we found in this uh, participant pool. We also asked about motivation. How motivated are you? Also a healthy number that we see here for Michiganders in terms of motivation. 
Can it be higher? Sure. Can it be lower? Definitely. But we this is this is a pretty average and healthy number to, to be seeing across the population of respondents. Psychological safety, we assess. Is it safe to talk about your well-being, to talk about your struggles um, with people in your life? Um, and so just because people find it safe doesn't mean that they're actually doing it. <laughs> um, and so why? We we find that normalizing struggle is such a big part of the conversation about community well-being and workplace well-being to provide safe spaces for people to show up with all of it. We wanted to know what role the amplifiers were playing when it came uh, when it when it when when you were looking at the state of well-being and again just as um, Shauna said a, a minute ago we see that people living well despite struggle and consistently thriving around the same um, around the same reported values as or, uh, means as those that are living well but really struggling or uh, not feeling bad, just getting by. We call that a step ladder effect. When you look at this particular, these particular graphs, the point being that you don't have to take away your struggle in order to be well. All right, let's talk about emotions for a few minutes. Emotions um, are data, according to Susan, um, David, we would never get rid of any of our emotions. All emotions are good emotions. Life is about a full range of human emotions, experiences, um, if we were always happy, we would never know what that felt like anymore because having the comparison helps us know what a feeling is. Now, that is not to say that positive emotion isn't still important. We want to be happy. We want to be satisfied. What you see here is what we're calling a well-being index. This um, comes from the OECD. It's used by Gallup, the World Values Survey. These are highly validated. Um, items. And so what we ask is, over the last few days, how worried have you felt? How depressed have you felt? How happy have you felt? How satisfied have you been? And of course, worried, depressed gets inversely, um, inversely scored here so that when you look at that well-being index bar, that first bar on the slide, that is a combination of the four items that follow it, happiness, depression, uh, worried, ha depression, happiness, and satisfaction. So we see here um, that in Michigan right now, if we're looking at this index, the uh, combination of these four items, we're at about a 6.5. Um, what we know um, from the OECD is that on average, let me see here, on average in the United States, 6.9 is the statistic for this, this particular index um, in the United States. So Michigan is just slightly below it. Um, this is often used for countries. And so countries like Australia, Denmark, Switzerland, those indexes are well into the sevens, seven and a half even in terms of people's level of, um, of, of worry, depression, happiness, and satisfied satisfaction combined. So on that note of emotion, um, we use this model to, um, to, to organize our well-being science um, classes and trainings and interventions. It comes from Martin Seligman, who I had the pleasure and, and privilege of studying with um, in terms of 
you know, what are the factors, what are the gauges of well-being? And so we use this model. Um, there are others, um, just like all science too. This is um, this is in um, in its iterative <laughs> development. So we're looking here um, across these particular factors and dimensions. And here's what we see of Michiganders in the past um, in the past few weeks that. Um, uh, their, their mean scores for these six different pillars. When you look at these PERMA factors, we call them positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, achievement, and health across the state of well being, again, you see that same stepladder effect that people who are living well despite struggle and consistently thriving are. Um, are higher than those that are really struggling and not feeling bad, just getting by. And you might look at this to see where people who are really struggling, where, where we might have the best opportunity for intervention. Perhaps it's to help on some health measures, health, health stuff, we talk about physical health, we talk about sleeping and eating and, um, and exercise and all of those things that help us for vitality. Um, and, and positive emotion, maybe even, you know, how do we help folks um, savor the things that are good in their lives? Even with uh, amidst a, a myriad of struggles, um, our brains can, when prompted, find what is good and focus our attention there for a minute as a strategy for addressing some of those problems. And the research shows that that's a really good strategy. Start with what's good and what's working and what's right that helps us build a positive emotion. At the me, we, and us level, we can see these PERMA factors. We call the me, we, and us level on individual levels, the we levels maybe on a family or work team. Um, and, and then on a community level, we could see something larger. Um, what we see on this slide is, you know, health on a community level also seems to be the lowest. We see opportunities maybe for um, helping people with some accomplishment in the community. You know, how do we help people set and meet their goals, for example? How do we help people even identify what their goals are, what they want, um, what's important to them? What are their values? Um, so um, we, we, we assess across these different dimensions, individual, family, work, community. All right. That's, those are the statistics that I wanted to share with you. There are more in the report, like I said, that you can flip through and see, but we just wanted to give some time for us to make some meaning around this report. Um, and so um, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen and I have 840, is it 11.40 where you are? Yes. So let me, um, I'm just gonna set up some breakout rooms. Shana, that's a good idea, right? We'll just go into the breakouts for yeah, a few minutes. Absolutely. And then, and then we'll come back and answer questions. So why don't we spend about uh, seven minutes or so or 10 minutes in the breakout rooms um, at looking at that. What struck you? Um, how might we as an organization, oh, we're losing a lot of people right now. <laughs> how might we as an organization um, show up to the challenge that this, these data show, these data present? And what might you do personally? 
So I'm opening up these rooms right now. We'll come back here in 10 minutes and report back and I'll answer some questions that you might have. Just wanted to give you some space to reflect. <laughs> All right, we have everyone back. And I know that that was a super fast breakout. Um, we did lose about half of our folks when I asked for breakouts, um, but we just wanted to give you some time to connect with a colleague and just have a, a moment. So um, what came from that moment? What questions do you have or what kinds of, um, what, what are you sitting with? What struck you? Let's just have a, a, a close out for the next few minutes with these um, reflections. Who'd like to share? Thanks, Veronica. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of a short amount of time to talk, but I was, uh, I'm on city council here in Harper Woods, and then we had uh, someone from an organization, I don't recall which organization, and then uh, someone also from, um, well, Mr. Godwin, I'm sorry, I can't remember, uh, a separate like uh, public service organization. So there was like a real variety, I think, in, uh, in the communities that we serve. And, and so the discussion was really more about how we think our community or our employees or how our organization, how, the, um, how those are struggling right now. I don't think that there was really time for us to get into uh, what to do or how to handle that. But uh, one thing that was uh, mentioned uh, well, Mr. Godwin had said attitude reflects leadership. And so I think he made a really good point about how leaders, uh, if we want to call ourselves that, um, uh, need to take on uh, the responsibility of how the people around us will feel. So I, I think that points to how we handle ourselves. But um, someone else also mentioned uh, learning how to struggle well. And I thought that was a really good point for her to bring up because I think oftentimes we think about just how do we not struggle? <laughs> you know, how do we get over struggling? And, and I guess the fact is, is that uh, we're not going to get over struggling in some way. So that's pretty much all we had time to get to, but uh, I enjoyed being in a room with people who had different, um, different, uh, different communities, if you will, mm. in mind. Mm. Yeah, I like that point, Veronica, that even across a diversity of communities, a diverse group of communities or contexts, even different workplace contexts or community contexts, that well-being is well-being is well-being and that struggles will continue to present themselves, right? So having the tools and strategies, the skills, the strengths even that are identified to be able to show up to those things. Um, Measuring definitely helps us, right? What, what, what do we say? What we, what we measure, we manage. And so that's where, you know, this well-being survey, the link that I have at the bottom of the screen now, um, any individual can go there and take it um, for free. Um, you get a really great report that comes out of the assessment um, customized to your own well-being. Um, and then communities, councils, Organizational leaders can um, subscribe to this survey if, if you would like to have a subscription for 
for your uh, collecting data for your community or for your organization. So get at me if that's something that is something that you want to explore. What else came out of the breakouts? What questions do you have or what, what struck you? Uh, we talked a little bit right, about whether this is a um, process that a city official or city government should work on or if there is a uh, group or uh, identity that should go ahead and work, be the, the proper place to work for. But we talked also a little bit about um, doing it as a volunteer. We are a smaller community in mid-Michigan. And the question right now, it is, hello, are you going to come out at all? And if you are, we need this done. We'd like you to do it. And it's a one-on-one -on -one right now. So putting a, pulling a volunteer registry together to get the people and the things done and the contacts and to even get it started is uh, where we sort of got in our few minutes. Mm -hmm. How to get started. Uh -huh. you know, I think one of the great lessons from Midland has been um, how, uh, how, how there's been a multi-stakeholder approach to the well-being, forming the well-being coalition and getting it off the ground, even funding, getting some funding for some of the resources to provide learning opportunities, training, certification, even the measurement and the other activities associated with well-being. Not that you always have to do something, for well-being, but you know, it, resourcing and the resourcing, um, it, you know, Midland granted is a is a is a well-resourced community. But what I love about how the resources for this came together was that it was such a hybrid. It was from local community foundations, local um, biz, uh, local philanthropy, local training and development budgets, even pulled together from different workplace organizations. It really was this kind of tapestry of of, of, of resourcing coming together um, and thinking creatively about how do we do this without any one person, any one organization, anyone, anything being fully responsible. No, as I could imagine in a community, you know, that's smaller or even bigger, well, both actually, where some of this could be driven by neighborhood associations, you know, that there could be some interesting work that they could do. Um, not only to sort of engage people to sort of get that data, that baseline and participate in the survey, but to, you know, host, you know, little neighborhood conversations around some of the results from their community and, and kind of create that coalition at that level. Oh yeah, Shanna, I, I worked in Cleveland for a bunch of years. Cleveland has a great community development corporation network, and we were able to use that uh, or leverage that network, I should say, for the, the uh, as the gateway for the distribution of some of the, the the information. Right, this is kind of you know information that's really helpful for people's lives um, and conversation. And and that's what we were really hoping today would do is spark more conversations about well-being throughout the state of Michigan. And so, if this is something that speaks to you and your heart. Again, please reach out. We're really hoping that some more well-being coalitions might start to form in different uh, places around the state so, so that we have a, a network of well-being um, leaders and coalitions 
to um, to support each other. Yeah, I think so. You know, I joke around saying, "Hey, I want Midland to have the highest level of well-being in the state." Well, frankly, I think Michigan should have the highest level of well-being in the country, and we can only do that <laughs> if we help one another accomplish that. That so, let me just say, if there's anything that we can do in Midland to help support you and your work, um, we are very happy. You know, to do that. It's it's like love. The more you give away, the more you have. Well, I think that's a great ending point. I mean, what 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 better than more love? I mean, I don't know that there is. Um, Annette's giving you uh, some snaps in the chat. Um, so I do realize we're at time. I'm happy to stay on the line though. If anybody wants to continue talking, I do realize that your days um, have other things going on. So thanks for coming and thanks for staying and thanks for being interested in this topic. And and again, we 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 haven't we haven't claimed to have gotten it right. We do have we have claimed to have gotten it going. And so if you want to uh, play in this space in this sandbox of how we create more well-being for communities. Um, that's where my heart is and would love to, uh, to meet yours in that conversation. So um, here's how to reach me. Please share the reports. Please distribute as widely as you can just to get, get more folks. You know, when people see, oh, this is a thing. Oh, okay, this is a thing. Okay, okay, I can get around this being a thing. And that's so freeing to people just to kind of have that awareness. Well-being is a thing. So thanks for engaging in the thing and for being advocates of the thing. And thanks for coming today. Thanks MML for hosting this. You bet. So happy to so have you. you guys. Thank you. Thanks for sharing these. And I look forward to a lot more conversations on this front, so. Great. So. Be well, everybody. Two. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.